The psalm on, on the front of your bulletins, Psalm 103, 102, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And uh, this morning I want to be looking at another psalm. There are many psalms that speak of thanksgiving, and another one is Psalm 107. It's where I... Um, the message I've prepared for this morning. As we prepare to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday this week. I know in the uh, children's, uh, well, the, the uh, Sunday school this morning, I used the flashcards to uh, tell the story of the first Thanksgiving. And I noticed also we had a Thanksgiving-themed um, Bible study on this past Wednesday, and I was just looking over that, and I noticed there was a little difference in dates. So, I, uh, according to to, my, to the lesson that I that I brought, uh, a Mrs. Sarah Hale wrote to President Lincoln, and she had been writing to governors and presidents for 17 years because ever since 1621, our first Thanksgiving, Massachusetts and other states and townships and towns were celebrating Thanksgiving, but many of them were doing it on different days. Not everyone was celebrating it on the same day. And she wanted the whole nation to celebrate Thanksgiving on the same day. And she wrote for 17 years to different governors and presidents and congressmen asking that Thanksgiving be a national holiday. Finally, the president that responded to that was Abraham Lincoln, and he declared that Thanksgiving would be that third uh, Thursday of the month of November. I know that uh, for a time, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt changed it. He moved it up to make uh, an extra week during the, uh, during the Great Depression to try and encourage more shopping, you know, more of that Black Friday between Christmas and Thanksgiving shopping. He added a week. And then it went back in 1941. It became officially the holiday that it is today, celebrated as originally uh, since Abraham Lincoln on the day that we now celebrate Thanksgiving on that Thursday each year, on this Thursday each year. In England at that time, King James I did not allow uh, those who were not licensed ministers with the English church, now the Anglican church in America, the Episcopalian church today, um, would not allow anyone to preach without a license through the Church of England, would not allow congregations to meet. And there were other dissident uh, groups besides the Scrooby Congregation. The Scrooby Congregation called themselves separatists because they wanted to separate from the Church of England, have their own separate church, but they weren't allowed to have that. At one point, they were, some of the men were put in prison uh, for that. But they finally were able to get to Holland, and then they go back to England where they had arranged for a ship. First they had the Speedwell and the Mayflower, then they had to all pack into the Mayflower. Not everyone was able to go along. But they made the journey of about two months across the ocean, across the Atlantic, from September to November. And uh, they, didn't, they, they had terrible conditions. At one point, the mast broke. They had to put a 
special bolts in it to hold it together and they gave God the glory for that, that God allowed them to survive that incident. If the mast had broken all the way off, they would have been stranded at sea and died in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Uh, they had, you know, there were other ships that had gone across the ocean before for the English who had not made it to America. Several un, un, other unsuccessful attempts to colonize in America had been made in North Carolina and other places. But God allowed them to come safely to America. Only two people um, perished on the, on the trip. One of them was a sailor who constantly reviled the pilgrims. And one night he was swept overboard. But the rest of them made it safely to the New World, as it was then called, the New World. And God provided for the pilgrims to build a fine food and fine water and to build houses before winter. And as they were crowded into those few wooden houses that they had built, they began to get sick that first winter and they began to run short of food. In fact, some of the food they found, uh, they found a, a, a storage of corn that the Indians had hidden. That's what they were able to survive on that first winter because of their, their shortage of food. At one point during the winter, they got down to just five kernels of corn per person per day. And at several times, there was only a couple of men that were healthy enough and strong enough to carry the dead out and uh, bury them or uh, take them outside of the... Because half of the pilgrims that first winter, half, about 50 out of 100, about 100 people that settled Plymouth, uh, passed away that first winter, including their first governor. Their second governor, who was elected that spring following the winter... His name was William Bradford. He wrote America's first history book called Of Plymouth Plantation. This is a reproduction of that. It was America's first history book. And I found it interesting to go look what passage of Scripture did they focus on in the first Thanksgiving. I plan to try and bring a message from that passage on Wednesday. But today I'm going to Psalm 107, which certainly... Uh, I'm sure the pilgrims could have identified with, as Israel identifies with, as we can identify with as believers today. But the first passage that I plan to come back to on Wednesday was not a psalm, as we often think of the psalms as being very uh, full of thanksgiving, which they are. We think of Psalm 100, which the, the school kids here at, at our school have been memorizing, which talks about entering the, uh, the Lord gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and being thankful to the Lord. But the pilgrims focused on a passage in Deuteronomy which said, as Jesus quoted to Satan in his 40-day uh, temptation in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone. And so that was their focus. When they got to thanksgiving, after having survived and not have had food, they were thankful for their food that they had that Thanksgiving meal. They had turkeys that Thanksgiving. They had ducks. They had deer. They had lots of food that Thanksgiving feast, that first Thanksgiving feast that they proclaimed to thank God for providing them food that they could now store for the coming winter. And they would have a much better winter that year than they had before. And they were thankful for that food, but they're also especially thankful for their freedom to worship God. That's the reason they came to America, to worship God according to his word and not according to what the king said 
or the official government state church said, but freedom to worship God and to practice their faith here in America. And that's at the core, at the heart of the founding of America. It's where we, the heritage that led to the First Amendment and the freedom that we still have to freely assemble and to practice our faith in America today. This morning, in Psalm 107, Psalm 107 speaks also of God providing, like he provided for the pilgrims to get them through their time of trouble. It speaks of the time of trouble Israel went through and how God provided for them. It also applies to us today. The principles that we find in this passage show us how there are four, at least four specific blessings that we need to thank God for as seen in Psalm 107 today. Let's, let's begin this message with prayer and then we'll begin looking at the four blessings that we should thank God for. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the principles in your word that we can apply to our lives today and how we should be thankful to you. And uh, not just, of course, at Thanksgiving or this time of year, but at all times, to be thankful to you and your many blessings to us, particularly these four that we'll look at this morning. Pray that, uh, I pray that each one here would, of course, first know that first blessing of redemption, that your son, Jesus Christ provided for us on the cross. We thank you for that blessing of salvation and assurance of being at home in heaven with you one day. We thank you for that. We thank you for the other blessings that we will discuss and look at and the many other blessings, the people that you bring into our life, our families, our friends, our church, uh, the many physical um, provisions that you give to us the lives that you give to us in this world, and, the, and all the good things, as your word tells us, every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from our Father in heaven, the Father of lights. We thank you for those gifts that you give to us, and may we be ever thankful for them. Bless this morning's message now, we pray. May it be clear and encouraging, we ask in Jesus' name, for your glory, amen. The first thing that we should thank God for, the first blessing we should thank God for, is his redemption. Let's look at Psalm 107, starting in verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And again, the specific context of this psalm, of course, is speaking of the children of Israel being saved by God, being delivered by God's mighty hand from their enemies. It's believed that this psalm is set within the context of Israel being brought back from the Babylonian captivity to reestablish their temple, to rebuild their walls, to reestablish their faith in their homeland, the promised land, back in Judea. After the Persian emperor Cyrus, in accordance to the prophecy that Isaiah had forewritten 
over a hundred years before Cyrus was even born, saying that one day Cyrus would allow God's people, the Jews, to return to their homeland in Israel. And they did return. And it's believed the psalm may have been written about that time. Uh, of course, there are many other occasions in Israel's history that God had delivered them. He delivered them out of Egypt. After 400 years in bondage to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh, with a mighty hand having revealed his power over the so-called gods of Egypt through those ten plagues where he revealed, and each of those plagues spoke to the Egyptians against certain gods that they worshipped in Egypt, like frogs, like the river of the Nile, uh, like the sun. And each plague was directed against them and showed God's power over those forces of nature or other things that the Egyptians worshipped. Then also God brought Israel through the wilderness with a mighty hand. He provided water, he provided manna, bread from heaven, as well as meat, as well as victory over enemies, over um, armies that came against and tried to destroy Israel. And he brought them eventually to the promised land. And then he led Joshua, the new leader, to take them in as uh, the Wednesday night a Bible study has been looking at each week the uh, series in Joshua and how there were battles still to fight even after Israel got to the promised land. And there are battles still for us to fight even after we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have put our faith in Him and Christ for salvation. And we have that assurance that one day we'll be forever with God in heaven. But there are still battles to fight in this world over sin and other struggles and trials that we face. That God brought the people of Israel through those battles. And then the time of the judges, during which Israel many times fell away from worshiping the one God and began to become and bring upon themselves the punishment for that disobedience to God, breaking his laws. And God allowed other nations to conquer Israel. And during the time of the judges, there was a cycle in which Israel would fall into sin, they would be punished, then they would turn back and repent of their sin and call upon God to help them, and he would. And he'd send a judge like Gideon, like Deborah, and many others to save his people from their enemies. And they did so. And then th throughout the time of the kings, there, was a similar, there were similar cycles until finally it got so bad that because of how far Israel had fallen away from worshiping their God who had provided in Israel, in their land, they had been taken, they had been removed from the land to Babylon and the Persian Empire had conquered the Babylonian Empire and they were not at, in, in their homeland. But it's believed by the time of this psalm they have been returned. And so this is speaking to the deliverance, to the redemption, how God purchased His people and forgave their sins when they called upon Him, when they repented to Him, when they called on Him for help and rescued them, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. But certainly it applies to us as Christians today. We know that uh, we believe here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore that God still has a plan for Israel, that he has, com has not completely set them aside, but right now he's through the church to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. But one day 
Israel will also come to faith in Jesus Christ and he has a plan for them in the future. But the principle here of Christ, of God redeeming his people still applies to us as Christians, God's people today. Jesus redeemed us on the cross. He purchased us. He saved us. As he had also saved his people from their enemies, God saved us from our enemy, Satan and death and eternal punishment. He saved us from the hand of the enemy. In verse 3, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. There are believers from all parts of the world today as the gospel has gone into all the world. And, but in, of course, the original context here, it's speaking of the children of Israel being gathered to come back to their land after having been scattered from their homeland. Verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. And then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their stresses out of their distresses. And of course, God had done for that for his, uh, his people in their wandering from Egypt to Israel through the wilderness, through a time where they had first had the opportunity to enter the promised land and rejected it because of their fear of the enemies in the land. And they had to wander as a punishment for their lack of faith in the wilderness for 40 years. But God brought them through. He brought the next generation through. They put their trust in him and he delivered them and provided food for them, even when they didn't deserve it. He provided food for his people. And he provided food for the pilgrims. That summer, the pilgrims could have been wiped out easily by the Native Americans, but God allowed two Native Americans who spoke English to approach the pilgrims and speak with them, talk with them, so that the pilgrims could make peace with them. Ninety warriors followed those two Indians with their chief, and they were ready to attack and wipe out the pilgrims. But because those two English-speaking Indians spoke with the pilgrims first, and because the pilgrims made it clear that they wanted to make peace with the Indians, and they brought gifts, and they told the Indians, we're not here to steal your land. We're not here to fight against you. We're here, we want to be your friends. God allowed those two English-speaking Indians to talk with the pilgrims, Samoset and Squanto. And Squanto came to love the pilgrims, and he helped teach the pilgrims how to plant corn and how to fertilize it with fish. And, and it helped them to prepare that summer for that next long winter. And he provided them food as he provided his people food in the wilderness. And you know, this is a reason that when we come to a meal, we bow our heads and thank the Lord for our food, that we recognize his hand in allowing us to live in a land of plenty where only about 5% of our population now is employed in farming. And we have, the we have the blessing to just go to the grocery store and buy our food there. The pilgrims, when they first came, there were no stores. There were no grocery stores. They had to grow their own food, hunt their own food, catch their own food, gather their own food, trade or buy for their food from the Indians who they were afraid would be hostile. And yet God provided for their survival in the new land, in the new world. And we're today here as part of that heritage. 
which is why we celebrate Thanksgiving each year, goes back to that tradition. Or at the end of the summer, at the, in the, at, at the end of the harvest, after they had stored all their food for the winter, they invited, the pilgrims invited the Native Americans to a feast. And they showed up uh, with 90 uh, warriors again. Um, and the, uh, the pilgrims, the, the ladies were a little unprepared for that. But then the Indians went and hunted and uh, brought in five deer. And they had a three-day-long feast that included, you know, the Indians shooting their arrows at targets and the pilgrims demonstrating their guns and having all kinds of games and, and a time of fellowship between the two peoples that were very different. And yet, the, the, because of the relationship the pilgrims brought, the gospel would also be, uh, begin to go out to Native Americans and uh, would lay the foundation for missionary efforts of the future that would happen in that part of the country, New England. And uh, here, that is the first blessing that we have to be thankful for, is God's redeeming us. Goodness and redeeming us. As he redeemed his people, as, and as he for the survival of, of our forefathers in this country. Verse 6. Of Psalm 107 says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to the city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The second uh, blessing that we ought to uh, thank God for is his provision for us. I've mentioned that a little bit already, how God provides for us, how he gives us the opportunity to be physically provided for. Look at verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. And this is a reference to the terrible place where the nation of Israel found themselves when they were taken into captivity because of their disobedience to their God, because of their spiritual imprisonment to the enemy of God, by their worship of false gods, they became physically imprisoned to their enemies and taken out and taken captive to a foreign land. But even then, even when the nation of Israel was in danger of non-existence, God had mercy and provided for their continuation as they turned back to Him, as He had prophesied many years before, that captivity would only last 70 years, and he brought them out of that captivity. Verse 11, because they had rebelled against the words of God. So there was a cause. There was a reason for their captivity. There was a reason for their suffering. Because they had rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor, and they fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. A repetition of verse 6. God still came and helped when they cried to him. And today, when we are in need of help and we call out to God, he helps us. Now, recently, I've been sharing about a friend of mine, uh, an acquaintance really, from, uh, from college that uh, was planning to come and, and visit us. And they found that he had a brain tumor. Well, he had surgery on Friday, and the doctors found that he would not need to have radiation. It was only a cyst. 
And so God answers prayer. There's a lot of prayers. I know he was uh, a little bit anxious uh, because of that, you know, surgery, having surgery to remove that. And so God delivers out of troubles. God responds to prayer. He responds to prayer. Verse 13, verse 14, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. The nation of Israel was in danger of dying as a nation and broke their bands in sunder. He delivered them. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. We need to thank God for His provision for us. And this theme continues in verse 16. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut, down, cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their souls abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. You know, often when someone is dying, they don't want to eat. They lose their appetite at the end. And that is an analogy for where Israel had found themselves when they were in captivity, in the Babylonian captivity, where they had been removed from their land, and they were beginning to despair for their future. But yet, God still had a plan for them. He still, it was not time, and it never would be, for Israel as a nation to be completely killed off as a people, even after they had been scattered, even after they had been removed from their land. And verse 19, then, the cry, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Again, that is repeated. God saved them. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And the third blessing that we should thank God for is for the safety, for the prosperity that he allows us to have, the opportunities that he allows us to have in life, Every good thing cometh from God, and every good thing comes from God, and we should give back. As, as I mentioned before, one of the ways that we give, that we show our thanksgiving to God each Sunday is by giving um, tithes, offerings, giving back a portion of what God gives to us. This is mentioned in the following verse when it mentions sacrifices of thanksgiving to show our thanks for God. Verse 22, and let them sacrifice, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, they that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. So it's saying sailors, they know, you know, part of their, their, their livelihood, their livelihood depends on being safe at sea. They cannot bring their trade goods to another place unless they're safe, unless they make their way safely through the sea. And so they know, the sailors do, says the psalmist, how God allows them that prosperity, allows them that security. And sometimes we, you know, in a safe land, um, we can sometimes begin to take that security and prosperity that we enjoy for granted. But remember, God has allowed that to us. Sailors are very aware of that. And again, analogy is used for the nation of Israel at the time. That 
even in the storm that Israel had to weather, the ship did not go down for the nation of Israel. God still was going to work, going to redeem them, going to save them, going to bring them back to their land. And one day he'll do so again. He's brought them physically back to their land, but one day they will spiritually turn back to the Lord as well. And, and for us, we have the hope God will provide for us, that he, whenever we enter a storm, a trial, a hard time, a difficult situation in our life, a storm, God has the power to calm it, like he did for his disciples when Jesus was asleep in the boat with his disciples and the seas became very rough and the waves began to crash into the boat and the disciples believed that they would perish, they came and woke Jesus. He was sound asleep and said, Master, do you not care that we perish? That's in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And of course, there's another occasion where Jesus walks out on the stormy water to the disciples in their ship where they're making no headway against the storm. And he, in both cases, he calms the storm and brings them to their destination safely. And so sailors recognize the dependence they have on God who controls the waves. But God also, he provides safety for, for all of us. The safety, the prosperity that we enjoy, we need to thank God for that. It's something that is a blessing that he allows for us. The fact that we still have a nation, that we still have some freedoms in this country is a, is a blessing to thank God for. Look at verse 5. For he commandeth the, and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, they go down against the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. And the pilgrims certainly could have identified with this after their long voyage across the Atlantic Ocean in 1620. But God brought them safely through. Verse 28, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. There are times when we go through troubles in our lives, like sailors in a ship go through a storm. And yet God has the power to bring us through and we can hope that that will be the case that God will bring us through and God did for Israel and God did for the pilgrims and has for so many at sea in storms as he did for his disciples on the Sea of Galilee verse 30 then they were glad verse 29 he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still then they are glad because they be quiet so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Whenever we think, see troubles around us, some of the terrorism and unrest in the world, this is a storm, and God can bring us through it. Let's be lights for him. God is good. No matter how bad circumstances can get around us, no matter how stormy, no matter how high the waves, God is still good. Let us praise him for that. Let us cry out to him in our time of need. Verse 32, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turned the rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. He turned and there he maketh the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city, that they may prepare a city for habitation. And I'm sure the pilgrims could have identified with this as Israel could as well. Verse 37, Then they sow the fields and they plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. 
He blessed them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffered not their cattle to decrease. And again they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon the princes. The fourth blessing that we should thank God for in His goodness is His justice. That ultimately, God, in the end, even if sometimes we see around us evil prevails, it seems, one day God will bring all evil to justice and reward those of us who are faithful to Him in heaven, not for our works, but according to our faithfulness um, with the responsibilities that we'll have in heaven one day, there will be a reward. Verse 41 Verse 40, he, he poureth contempt upon the princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. And the analogy for Israel was they were wandering in the wilderness. It seemed hopeless, but yet he provides and he brought them back to their land. Verse 42, And the righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. And that was the point of the Babylonian captivity, was to show Israel you cannot worship other gods. There are consequences for doing so. And Israel ever since has been a monotheistic country. They have not worshipped idols. Unfortunately, they rejected Jesus as Messiah as a nation. There are still Jews who believe messianic jews who have put their faith in jesus christ as savior and but one day that nation will turn and realize that jesus is their true messiah verse 43 whoso is wise and will observe these things even they shall understand the loving kindness of the lord when we count our blessings as a song we'll close with shortly will will remind us when we count our blessings, when we remember how good God is and how much we truly have to be thankful for, then we understand God better and we understand how loving and kind He is. You know, the first course of the meal, that first Thanksgiving, and according to tradition, they, the, Plymouth would continue every year to celebrate Thanksgiving. Other Puritan towns would do so as well in Massachusetts. And the, first, the traditional first course of their Thanksgiving meal was five kernels of corn to remember the time, that first winter in America, that they only had five kernels of corn a day to eat. And it reminded them of how much they had been blessed and how much they had to be thankful for. This week and throughout the year, let us be sure to thank God for His redemption, for His purchasing us. We have so much. We have our soul to, as gratitude to Him, our assurance of heaven one day to be thankful for. That is the greatest blessing that God has given us, His Son, Jesus Christ, dying in our place on the cross. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I pray that you will uh, speak to me or someone in the congregation today after the service as we go to the meal and we can show you how you can know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, that you have admitted that you are a sinner in need of His salvation, in need of His forgiveness that He provided on the cross by paying the punishment for us. 
That is the first and greatest blessing to be thankful for to God. And secondly, the physical blessings that he gives us, the physical provision, the food that we are about to eat and enjoy together in the gym. We have that to be thankful for, as well as the opportunities that we have in this life for success, the many blessings that we have, the family, the friends, and the security, the health, the safety that sometimes we take for granted until we get sick or until something goes wrong. But up to that time, we enjoyed that blessing. And it's one of the blessings that we can count. And of course, God's justice. That ultimately, God is just. And whatever happens in this world, one day, everyone will give an account to God. Are we counting those blessings? Christ's redemption of us. Their physical provision for us, the food that we eat, the opportunities that we have, the security, the, and finally, the justice that God provides. Let's close in prayer.